This is the Bristol Cable. Davids and I opens her phone to find she's been added to a group on encrypted messaging app Signal. The 38-year-old, a philosophy teacher at a community college in Berlin, has been asked to take part in a direct action protest at the Bristol headquarters of an arms company that ships weapons to Israel. Among the names of those added to the group chat, she recognises her comrade Ronnie Barkan, who, like her, has long been campaigning against the actions of the Israeli state. That is, its decades-long system of oppression of the Palestinian people. The pair of them are dissident Israeli citizens, with personal stories of the devastation of the Israeli forces' operations in Gaza. The group's target, as part of a campaign run by Palestine Action, is Elbit Systems UK which helps develop technologies for drones, tanks and other weapons used by the Israeli military. Elbit is Israel's largest arms manufacturer. It has nine sites in the UK, but Bristol is the main operational facility. And the activists say that shutting it down is key to ending Britain's complicity in what they and international human rights groups describe as Israel's apartheid regime. The group took sledgehammers, crowbars and fire extinguishers filled with red paint to the building on the northern edge of Bristol, breaking in and destroying parts of its interior before barricading themselves inside. It was an action that landed Ronnie, Stavit and their five co-defendants in the dock at Bristol Crown Court, where they currently stand in trial accused of burglary and criminal damage. But while it's the protesters stand in trial, At the heart of the evidence given in court by their lawyers is the history, tragedy and devastation of the Israel-Palestine conflict and how what happens inside the Bristol facility plays a role in the death and destruction ordered by the Israeli state. I'm Sean Morrison and this is Bristol's Murder Factory. Stavit and Ronnie fly to Manchester, her from Berlin, him from Israel, where they were both born and raised by Zionist parents whose views, as they would both later tell their trial under cross-examination, are wildly different from their own. After landing, the pair of them take a train to Bristol, a city neither of them had visited before or knew anything about. It's here that they meet their comrades, Eliza Sarson Dimmant, Archie Sadler, Finton Owens, Jarvi Georgeson, and Paul Short. They prepare for the action the following day, on May 15th, 2022. The date is a significant one. It's the 74th anniversary of the Nakba, or in Arabic, the catastrophe, when the Palestinian people, in 1948, began being violently displaced and dispossessed during the Arab-Israeli war. The group pull up outside 600 Aztec West, a site not far from popular shopping spot Cribs Causeway, 
their rucksacks packed with the tools they've chosen to wreak havoc on the headquarters of Elbit Systems UK. While other activists block access to the road outside, they storm the building, destroying parts of its interior, including smashing ceiling tiles, windows and office televisions. The group live-streamed the action themselves. Let's have a go. But CCTV and police body cam footage shown to the court helped the jury see the extent of the damage and disruption the seven activists on trial caused. After reading off a damage schedule in court, prosecutor for the Crown, Richard Posner, a no-nonsense, typically posh-sounding bloke, whose voice is at odds with the resemblance he bears to hardman actor Ray Winston, tells the hearing that the activist caused damage to the tune of about £91,000. CCTV showed the protesters, after they managed to climb in through a smash window, being confronted by security guards in the reception and foyer area, the walls and floor of which they sprayed with red paint. Hope you're seeing this. A burglar alarm sounded in the background. There was a tussle, but ultimately, the security staff were outnumbered, and without using force, the activists were able to brush past them and make their way deeper into the building, towards an office room where they would barricade themselves inside. We barricaded the doors, barricaded the windows. Among the footage shown in court is the moment a police officer attempts to negotiate with the activists while they're inside the office. Speaking to the group through the half-frosted glass of the room, the walls spray-painted with the phrase Happy Nakba Day, the officer asks them to come out, urging that they, and I quote, consider the wider consequences of your actions for yourself and for your family. His half-assed warning, which sounded not unlike a supply teacher timidly asking an unruly class to stop being naughty, inevitably failed. The group didn't respond, and the police were forced to smash their way into the room before making arrests. All seven activists were detained. Two of them, Ronnie and Stavit, were held for a month while the others were granted bail. Ronnie was taken to hospital following his detention. During the action, he said he suffered a broken rib when a security guard knelt on his chest. During his medical examination, According to a list of agreed facts read in court, he told the doctor he'd been demonstrating against a murder factory. And in court, barrister Owen Greenhall for the defence helped them make the case that the Bristol-based firm was just that and was inseparable from its parent company, the Israel-based Elbit Systems Hello Limited. Hello welcome to Elbit Systems Investor Conference. Management will present in Hebrew with a simultaneous translation to English. The Bristol site, in Stavit's words, is a crucial link in the chain of arms production. It's the nervous system of the Elbit Systems UK enterprise. I can't think of a company that's more murderous and barbaric, she told the court. Marketing its weapons as battle-tested because they're tested on Palestinian bodies, on the people of Gaza, getting what they call the edge in the industry. On the fourth day of the trial, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Elbit Systems UK took to the witness stand. Alan Wright, a former military man of 19 years before joining the arms company, was cross-examined by the defence, led again by Greenhall, who began by asking Wright about the pretty confusing business structure of the firm. 
Greenhall cleared his throat <clears throat> as the friendly court clerk handed each member of the jury a copy of a diagram that showed how some of the directors of the UK subsidiary were also on the board of the parent company. Other employees in senior positions, including Wright, were also directors of one of the other four UK-based subsidiaries of Elbit, companies that manufactured technologies for drones and tanks. What we can see is that Elbit Systems UK is a wholly owned subsidiary of Elbit Limited in Israel, Greenhall tells the jury, turning to Wright, who appeared in court behind a curtain, obscured from the public gallery, the defendants in the dock and the press. Only the jury, the judge and the barristers got a look at him. And Elbit is a very significant supplier to the IDF, right? Greenhall asks. I'm aware it's a supplier, but not the specifics of the contracts and the volume, Wright replies, in the first of a long stream of vague non-answers that draw sighs, scoffs and eye rolls from the public gallery. Wright claimed to have no or little knowledge of the links the company he works for has with the Israeli military. Do you accept, Greenhall asks, that Elbit Systems UK assists Elbit Limited in the development, supply and use of weapons in the Palestinian territories by the Israeli Defence Forces? No, says Wright, who in one of the most senior roles in marketing and sales at the company ensures Elbit UK has the right resources to secure business deals. Are you being deliberately evasive? Greenhall puts to him. No, I can only focus on the knowledge that I have. I say you're being very careful with your words, says Greenhall. The judge, Michael Cullum, steps in at this point. Now, Greenhall, this is pure comment, he says reminding the barrister that he's here to question the witness, not pass judgment. Is Elbit UK entirely independent from Israel? Greenhall asks finally. It operates within UK law, Wright replies. Investigative journalism that strengthens democracy is a necessity, not a luxury. As a co-op, democracy is built into everything we do. Becoming a member of The Cable means that you get to have a say in your local news, owning and guiding our work. Find out more about what makes our journalism different and join The Cable. Visit thebristolcable.org today. Elbit's CEO, Bezhalel McClis, says the firm, which is Israel's largest arms manufacturer, is crucial to the operations of the Israeli army in Gaza. It produces 85% of the IDF's land-based equipment and 85% of the drones used by its air force, including artillery and target acquisition technology. In the UK, the firm says it produces a range of different technologies for both military and civilian use. In an undated video shared online by Elbit, Israeli ambassador to the UK, 
Zippy Hotevoli showcased equipment being manufactured by the firm at an opening of a factory in Bristol. The clip was shown to the jury in evidence submitted by the defence. I'm here in Bristol uh, for the opening of the new Elbit factory and I'm very, very proud of the Israeli technology. Elbit is a defence technology uh, company, Israeli, that's based here in the UK, has factories in Kent and in Bristol. And I'm holding one of our really, really good uh, night vision uh, technologies really, really helpful to all our soldiers around the world. There is no humanitarian crisis. In the clip, according to the defence, the ambassador makes clear the link between the UK and Israeli-based companies. According to data released under Freedom of Information Law by the Department of Business and Trade, between 2016 and 2021, a number of export licence applications were made by Elbit UK and its partner companies to export military items to Israel for use by the state. Under the licence granted to Elbit UK, among the items shipped was technical equipment and software designed or modified for military use. UAV Engines Limited, another subsidiary of Elbit, where the company's witness in the trial also sits on the board, exported different types of drones and engines specifically modified for military use. Another subsidiary, Instro Precision, exported, among other things, surveillance and warning equipment, target acquisition and tracking systems, and sensor integration equipment. The use of weapons and defence technologies designed and manufactured in the UK has been seen firsthand by Ronnie, who, under cross-examination, told the court how his friend died after being shot by the IDF during a demonstration in Gaza. Footage of Ronnie at a pro-Palestine protest in Gaza was shown to the jury. Israeli soldiers shot into the crowd, and Ronnie was among those injured. The court was also told how Elbit is a successful arms company because their weapons are battle-proven. They are tested, as Tavit put it, on Palestinian bodies, with the conflict proven to be a laboratory for the industry. Elbit is a beast, a beast that produces all these different arms, Ronnie told the jury. Ammunition used to kill journalist Shireen Abu Akleh just before our action, producing technology for the domination and control of an entire population. Over the past months, Israel has dropped the equivalent of three atomic bombs on Gaza, he added referring to the ongoing devastation that Israel has been inflicting on Palestinians since October. Judge Cullum, as he did at several points during the first week of the trial, paused proceedings. He reminded the court that the legal arguments in the case should be kept to things that took place before the alleged offences of the defendants. In other words, the wider context of the conflict beyond May 2022 could not be relevant to this specific trial as it hadn't happened yet, so couldn't have influenced the defendant's action. After setting out how Elbit Systems had played a role in the Israel-Palestine conflict, the protesters' representatives then launched their specific legal defence, consent. 
The owner of the building is Sedgemoor District Council, just south of Bristol, which leases it to Elbit. The local authority had been targeted by Palestine Action previously, with their offices sprayed with red paint and graffiti with the words Evict Elbit daubed on the front door. Sedgemoor bought two office blocks at the Aztec West site in January 2020 as part of a commercial investment programme. Elbit UK was an existing tenant that remained there after the council made the purchase. The local Labour Party, in opposition at Sedgemoor Council, condemned the investment. In a blog post following Palestine Action's protest in 2021, opposition leader, councillor Brian Smedley, wrote that the council's investment amounted to actively funding the Israeli military and their operations in Gaza. People will want to know how their money is being invested, he said, adding that the authority should immediately agree to, in his words, disengage from the property and Elbit. Others agreed. Councillor Julie Cordoner said, I totally object to this investment, which I'm sure inadvertently leads to the murder of children. And town councillor Glenn Burrows said, We cannot turn our backs on the continued attacks by Israel on Palestinian civilians. Elbit is one of Israel's largest arms manufacturers, including the drones which are used in those attacks. Doing any type of business with them means profiting from violence and human rights violations. Had Sedgemoor known the full extent of what their tenants are responsible for, Stavit told the jury, then they would have consented to the damage she and her comrades did to the property. This point is relevant because if there was consent from the council, it would not be a criminal act and the defendants would not be guilty of criminal damage. If Sedgemoor had the full knowledge of what was happening in Palestine, said Stavit, everyone with a beating heart in their chest would agree to shut Elbit down and prevent further war crimes. This, she said, was the activist's ultimate goal. In order to do that, to shut Elbit down, she told the court, one had to alert the council to the danger that lies there. Asked by her barrister what she thought the impact of their action on the Bristol site would be, Stavit said, I would have expected that the council would get a wake-up call. I would have expected them to kick Elbit out. Why did you target Elbit UK and not Elbit Israel? Greenhall asked his client. For two reasons, Davit said. First, I value my own life. Had I taken action in Israel, I would have been shot in the head. Second, it's been proven that, such as in the case of South Africa's apartheid, action taken outside the country where the crime is taking place is effective. But why was it necessary to carry out direct action in this way, rather than a more conventional protest? Greenhall asked. I've dedicated most of my adult life to try and persuade different authorities to end the kind of crimes that Elbit is involved in, she told the jury. And everything has failed. I've simply exhausted myself and any other means I could have possibly taken. It was so urgent to take direct action. Innocent people are being killed, she said, and there is simply no time to waste.
This was Bristol's Murder Factory, a cable long read by me, Sean Morrison. The Elbit trial is still ongoing, set to get underway again on Monday, the 29th of January, 2024. Evidence is still to be heard from the five other defendants. The cable will continue covering the case, so head to thebristolcable.org for updates and subscribe to The Bristol Cable wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.